This podcast is brought to you by Most Valuable Podcasts, leading the league in podcasting entertainment. What's up, what's up? Real MVPs, Ricky Widmer here, along with the one, the only, Brandon Swanee Swanson. Hey, hey, hey. And Dave, I just gotta say, Dave Oster will be happy today, because about a week ago, um, Dave about a was... a week ago, week ago. Dave was complaining to me. He's like, Ricky, where is your NBA big board? Where is the Primetime Podcast and the NBA big board? And I told him, I said, we're gonna do it a little bit after non-conference to kind of see these guys play. And he's like, Ricky, and I'm... Not going to paraphrase here. I'm going to say it word for word. Ricky, you got to get that shit out. And Dave is all in draft mode. He is, he's already got his guy for the draft class. We've been doing it on the fast break. If you can't tell, our big boards today. NBA number one for 2019. And you want to know the best part, Brandon? What's the best part, Ricky? NBA big board this week. NFL big board next week. Back to we back. got big board, big board to kind of... Start your, end your November, start your December. If you're new to the podcast, how we do it is we split them up into three. For the big board, we do a top 25. We go from 25 to 16, then we go 15 to 6, and then the last segment we do our top five. Before we get into everything, we also got to give our football picks at the end. We're doing conference championship week this week in football. Before we get into it, quick, quick housekeeping. Number one, make sure to check out our Patreon page, patreon.com backslash Podcast. That's where you guys come in. Help support us. We can't do what we do without the support of our patrons, so thank you for all them. You want to help support us, that's down below in the description. If you love the shirt I am wearing, I was hoping you would wear it too. I was like, I know Brandon's not going to have it on. You didn't text me though. But you didn't text me it would tell be me. amazing if we like... Didn't plan it and both wore the same shirt. But if you like the MVP t-shirt, you can get this t-shirt down below in the description as well. You can also get it at mostvalopodcast.com where you catch MVP each and every day. And then last but not least, make sure to go on to iTunes, go on to Apple Podcasts, rate the Primetime Podcast. I hope you give us a five-star rating, but whatever you think we are worth, and then you can review us as well. I actually do this on the primetime podcast. I actually check if we have any new reviews. Is Dan I'm gonna H, say no. I'm gonna say we don't. Is Dan H still the last review that we have? And Dan H twelve N D is still the last one. It was a five star rating and he said we are very good was the title <laughs> of his. So if you want to go to iTunes Apple Podcast, give us a rate and review. That would be great and we would really appreciate it. But Brandon how we do it, like I said, we got three segments. We are going to start with 16 through 25, getting right into it. And we'll start with yours, then we'll give mine, then we'll kind of talk about some things. We'll start with you, start with 25. Give us your first part of the big board, 25 through 16. All right, so at 25, I've got Eric Holman, the power forward from Mississippi State. At 24, Jalen Smith, power forward from Maryland. At 23, a fun name here, Sagaba Konate, the power forward slash center from West Virginia. Sounds at, like it should be a karate move. Konate. I know it does, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. I think it, I think it is. With I that, think it is. With that karate chop. We'll that. check on it. Maybe. We'll check Maybe. on it. <laughs> at 22, Charles Matthews, Michigan fans definitely know his name. He's a shooting guard from Michigan. At 21, Jalen Hands, point guard from UCLA. At 20. Quentin Grimes, the shooting guard from Kansas at 19. P.J. Washington, the power forward from Kentucky 
At 18, Kevin Porter Jr., the shooting guard slash small forward from USC. At 17, Jalen McDaniels, the power forward from San Diego State. And at 16, Nikhil Alexander-Walker, the shooting guard from VT. And the thing that I like about our big boards that I think are more different this year than they've ever been in years past, um, out of the 25, I did the math, 11 guys. We have 11 guys that are like... He Brandon's got eleven guys that aren't on mine, and I've got eleven spots that aren't on Brandon. So we've th- got some new names coming at it. And I think that you're going to you're going to find that especially in this first big board mm-hmm. where it's whatever you like. Still, man. people outside of probably the top five to mm-hmm. to seven, seven or ten people aren't necessarily sold yet on mm-hmm. on people. So they're they're trying people out. They're seeing uh, you know and. Some limited action from some guys that mm-hmm. they're saying, "Oh, we, you know, I really like this guy," as opposed to what you know you think would be maybe this guy, and we'll start to be, I think, a little bit more similar by two, three, four, and and five. How many ones we do? Or some guys that are basically I'm maybe we won't. to Lonnie Walker, where Lonnie Walker was in the big board last year, hadn't played up to this point. So we've got one or two guys that are like that or kind of like that coming in. But my 25 through 16, starting it all off at 25, got Carson Edwards, the guard from the Purdue Boilermakers. Then Killian Tilly, the forward slash center from the Gonzaga Bulldogs. Number 23, Dietrich Lawson, the forward from the Rock Chalk Jayhawk. Then at 22, Jalen Smith, the forward from Maryland, a Terrapin. Then at 21, the first Dookie. On my big board, Trey Jones, the guard from that said Duke team. Then at 20, Simi Chatou, the forward slash center from Vanderbilt. Then at 19, a guy that we got reamed for in one of our big boards because he declared as we were recording or said he's coming back to college as we were recording that big board, Daniel Gafford, the center from the Arkansas Razorbacks. Then at 18, Brandon Clark, the forward from the Gonzaga Bulldogs. Then at 17, the third zag that I have on my big board, Roy Hachimura, the forward from Gonzaga. Then at 16, Darius Garland, the guard from Vanderbilt. And that rounds out. I almost went into my 15, but I have to stop right there. That will round out my 25 through 16. And the guy we're going to start with, Brandon, is a guy... I I still have him higher than you, but I will be completely honest. When I did kind of the first draft the day before the season started, I had this player as like the seven or eighth best player in, in maybe even the sixth or fifth. I think I had him fourth, fifth. Actually, I had him at fifth because I had some the Dukies someone else, and then I had him at fifth. So I had him pretty high. Now I have him down a little bit. You have him in this range at 20. Quentin Grimes, the guard from Kansas. And the thing that blows my mind about him, if you just watched game one against Michigan State, you would say, oh, this is a top five talent. Oh, this is a top seven talent for sure. But it seems like ever since that first game, to me it seems like how is this – Kansas team going to work this year where, yeah, they're winning games, but it looks like because of the guys like Vic, like Azabuki on that team, he might be getting overshadowed early in the season and might have to find his place on this Kansas team. Ricky, uh, saying the word overshadowed, I'm glad you did because we're going to talk about another guy Mm -hmm. in the same segment 
who is also most likely being overshadowed on his team. But Quentin Grimes, the first reason why I love him is because he tweeted the other day that he always wants Chick-fil-A on Sundays. Bro, (laughs) me too, okay? Um, But the the, the second reason that I really like him is he's got good strength, he plays physical. He certainly does that, and he has he's a good shooter. He's a Mm -hmm. good shooter from mid-range and from three, but the biggest thing that I have for him, which is clearly shown here, is he is inconsistent at times, and his inconsistency is what's going to keep him lower come draft time, or potentially even you know out, out of a um, for us out of a big board mm-hmm. if he doesn't get back to where he even close to where he was in game one. Twenty one points, like you said in mm-hmm. game one, he scored twenty five total in the next four. Twenty five yeah, total but- in the next four. Words. You can't you can't be so um, mm-hmm. on on the screen and then just. Fade away. But here's it, the it, thing. That's, that's tough. And here's the thing that's difficult about it, though, is if you're looking just at point totals, you're going, yeah, that's inconsistent. But, like, I look at the just shot attempts that he's had in games. That first game he had what a number one or what a top ten talent would have. He went 7 of 14 from the field. He went 6 of 10 from beyond the arc. An insane number of threes in that game. But then it's like Vermont, four of eight, two of four from three. All right, a little bit lower. But it's like the last two games, the Marquette game, 0 of three, and he played 26 minutes. And then in an overtime game against Tennessee, plays 21 minutes, one of four. Like, to me, that I don't know if that screams Quentin Grimes is at fault or if it's kind of like a, and we're going to get into this a little bit with Duke as well, They've got guys in that team. I mentioned two of them. Lawson's another one who I have in my big board where it's just he was needed game one, went off, but then the other games it was a different guy that was kind of taking that mantle and he hasn't demanded that kind of spot like he did coming out of the gates against Michigan State in Indianapolis. True, but at the same time, if you're looking towards the NBA – Mm-hmm. You're not going to be starting too many NBA games if all you're getting for them is three points in 26 minutes, five points in 21 minutes. You're not even going to be a sixth man. Mm-hmm. So it's yes, I mean you're not O of three. Okay, you that's 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 not bad in terms of your your shots. You're not like you're going two of 19 from the field and then one of four, of course. But you need to get a little bit more involved. Mm-hmm. And again, I know that you mentioned, is this him or is this the, the team, you know, calling on him to, to to take these shots or he's not having to take these shots. But also what an NBA team is going to be looking for is, you know, some more leadership from a guy. And maybe that's where he needs to take a little bit more of a leadership role on, on, a, on a team that he, he could do that. I mean, you mentioned a couple of the other guys as a and Vic, but who, why can't Quentin Grimes be one of those those guys as well? And. I'm not saying that all you need to do is is score. You don't have to. He's really good at being able to space the floor. That's really good, and that's really effective mm-hmm. for your team. But at the same time, it is very, very unsettling when you get 21 points in your first game. And I know that you you do go off, and it's a close, tightly contested matchup mm-hmm. against a, a good Michigan State team. But then to go 10-6-3-5, and again, I know point totals aren't everything, but in the offensive-driven NBA, three points, five points, six points, even 10, Mm -hmm. that's low scoring, and that's pretty much unheard of. You Mm -hmm. have got to do more. 
Because, like, I'm looking at the other three guys that are ahead of him. There's four ahead of him, but the three that are the main names are, um, first you got LeGerald Vick, who basically that first game only had two points. He took seven shots. He was not even a factor in that win over the Michigan State Spartans because it's like, oh, you have three rebounds, three assists. You didn't hit a single three. Yeah, he had three steals. I guess you can say that was a positive, but... LeGerald Vick didn't have a really good game to start the year. But, like, ever since, you look at 32, 33, 16, 15, contributing good point totals, but then you look at the shots, 14, 18, 12, 12 attempts. You look at guys like Lawson, who are taking in four of the five games that they've played, Vermont being the only one where he didn't, 18, 11, 16, and 16 shots, and then Azabuki, 10, 17, 10, where the last two, he's kind of fallen off a bit from that double-digit attempt to where I just I feel like, and this is a thing with a lot of these guys too, is we're still early in the year where I keep telling this to Dave and Sean. I think I said this on the fast break this week. Non-conference to me when it comes to college basketball, like, are the games are some of the games impressive? Yes. Like the Duke Gonzaga game, you're gonna want to watch that. That's good basketball. But you could honestly not watch until January and be fine. And I say that because for me in college basketball, non-conference is all about just meshing as a team, hoping that you get on the right track come conference time usually when the calendar flips over into the new year. So, I mean, Quentin Grimes, I'm not saying like, oh, watch out for him. He's going to be sliding down big boards. Obviously, he's sliding down a lot because before the season, a lot of people probably had him ranked higher than we may have him. But, I mean, I look at it and I just wonder with this Kansas team, is it right now he's kind of being overshadowed and these other guys are kind of taking the mantle and eventually it's going to be, okay, he's going to get his, get a little bit more comfortable. And the question that I'll ask you, kind of the last thing before we move on to the next guy is, do you think maybe if like Vic and Lawson lead the team in attempts, does Grimes need to, hey, I have the skill set, I can use it to score when I can, but maybe kind of become a Clay Thompson-esque player to this team? And I say that for what Clay Thompson is to the Warriors, where it's like, I don't have to be the leading scorer, but... I'm going to take my shots when I can. I'm going to play really good defense and kind of excel in these few areas while the other two guys kind of take the main scoring portion for this team. I think that that's okay. I I think that you still want to see him get a little bit more involved. I I think what worries me the most is that he was not that involved against lesser teams. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, and and maybe that maybe that screams a little bit. Oh, maybe he'll be more involved to get in the bigger games. Like obviously he was mm-hmm. involved in that in that first Michigan State game. Yeah, uh, first game of the year for him, and 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 had the twenty one points. Went seven of fourteen from the field, so had plenty of sh- got plenty of shots up. Was very effective all over the floor. But that's what kind of almost worries me. Is okay, you're not even getting the production in games that aren't as big Mm -hmm. are you going are you going to continue to stay involved for the big games and and hopefully yes you will there's like you said there's still plenty of of games to go 
There's plenty of season to go. We're only a few games in, and that's I think that's the good part about it. But I am still looking for him to do more, to do more, and 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 be consistent. Mm-hmm. You know, not to go from a a you know a big game of all over the floor with 21 points to a was non-existent had six shots. Mm-hmm. That's just not going to cut it, especially when you look next level. And that's what we're doing mm-hmm. here is we're looking next level. Yeah. We're not just looking at, at, at the college level. We're looking at the at the next level here for these for these players. What about the next guy? I know you want to talk about he's on your big board, not on mine, P.J. Washington. What are you thinking about the guy out of Kentucky? Yeah, I like him. I, I think that he's a very physical, tough player, mm-hmm. and I like guys like that, guys that bring that kind of fire, that intensity, which is what he certainly has. And uh, another thing with with P.J. Washington that he uh, does well, he operates a lot when he's uh, uh, when he has the basketball along the baseline, which draws defenses down, kind of saturates down low, and allows other players to get open, mm-hmm. really spaces the floor, and I think that any player that's able to do that effectively is really good and is really good when you're looking next level. I just, for me with P.J. Washington, I mean, it's not a fact of like, oh, I don't like this guy, don't draft him, but it's just when I was coming up with this big board, for me, I would have had him somewhere between, if I would have put him on it, I would have had him somewhere between 22 and 25 and the thing is with him and i guess you can kind of compare it in a way to quentin grimes in a sense but i think quentin grimes to me has more potential and has maybe a higher ceiling than a pj washington is the fact that out of the six games they've played i know that duke is duke and we're gonna get to them but that first game P.J. Washington didn't look good. I know that Duke team kind of got barrel-rolled by the most dominant team in college basketball right now. Like, the only team to beat them is a Gonzaga team that had more experience than, like, had skill plus more experience than that Duke team. But, like, the three games that I've seen with P.J. Washington that he's actually done well, North Dakota... VMI, Winthorpe. It's like, and maybe I would have had him for sure in the big board if he didn't have to me, I'm going to use a Colin Cowherd word, clunkers against SIU and Tennessee State. Like, to me, if the only clunker was Duke, I would say, all right, it's Duke. Like, I get it. But it's like, to me, it seems like what was going on in that, because that SIU game, 20 minutes, he only took two shots. I, it's kind of like the same argument that we just had. Because I, I just, Clinton I was just going to say, you, you, you're, you're kind of getting down on PJ, mm-hmm. on PJ Washington for here the same for reasons. the same mm-hmm. reasons that I was getting a little bit down. While I think that Quentin Grimes is 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 a good player, I think PJ Washington is just as good. But I feel like you're trying to make the argument that that PJ Washington, you would have him much lower than you would have, maybe not much lower, but certainly lower than mm-hmm. Quentin Grimes. For the exact same reasons, you know, for for all these things that are still the same I with just, Quentin Grimes. I mean, he had some he had some clunkers against mm-hmm. teams that you would go, well, why is he not scoring thirty points like LeGerald Vick mm-hmm. and everyone else on the uh, on, on the Kansas team? I I guess I I think that you you have to st- as as much as we're kind of starting to feel some of these guys out. Some of these guys are also 
feeling out the new season, getting mm-hmm. uh, getting adjusted again, and, and, and things like that. You're not supposed to have a great game every mm-hmm. single week or every single game. That's okay. But as long as you have more good games than bad games, that's a positive. That's And that's what we're looking for. And I am always going to be, be I, I think, give benefit of the doubt to a guy that to a physical guy who's got the intangibles, mm-hmm. who has the skills, who's putting in the work, who's hustling, who you can tell out there on the floor is working. Even if he doesn't have a great game, if he had, you know, a clunker mm-hmm. because he was being lazy on the floor, not hustling and just, you know, giving a um a, a half performance, then okay, you know, th- I'm not for I'm not for that that type of player. Mm-hmm. But a player, I think like PJ Washington, where I'm not saying he's a saint by any means, but I'm saying that I I when I watch him, I see him go out there and hustle up and down the floor and give it his all every single night. That's I can get behind a player like that who puts up a couple of bad games. And another thing with them too is if we're comparing Grimes to Washington, it's not apples to apples. It's apples to oranges. And the reason why I say that is Grimes is a guard, more importantly a two-guard probably in the NBA. P.J. Yeah. Washington will most likely be a four in the NBA. And the thing with P.J. Washington that it doesn't concern me a ton, but it kind of concerns me, is if he can come in, and this is talking next level now, if he can come in... And, of course, the guy I'm comparing him to is probably not the best, too, because he's the best at what he does, Draymond Green. If he can come in— And kick some nutsacks like Draymond Draymond does? Well, he does what he has to. Um, (laughs) If that's rebounding, if that's getting fit, like, he fits that mold that that team needs, and he could score maybe nine points and be fine because the rest of that team does the scoring for him, and— I'm looking the stats that I'm looking at here are per 30 per 36 minutes. Um PJ Washington if you do is per 36, he hits about 55% of his threes. Um but he only takes about 2 per 36 minutes. Where you got Quentin Grimes, he's taking about 5 per 36. The rate is better from that sense. He just doesn't hit them cuz he's taking more of them. Where I feel like Quentin Grimes is a two guard or as a guard period that skill set and what he does with it when he's at his best I like better at the next level than what I've seen from PJ Washington at the four because most of the time now in the NBA with how it's been just evolving is unless you're going to be that team doesn't have a bruiser down low if you're a four you're going to have to shoot the three and I mean I look at P.J. Washington, that's probably my only knock. Here's another question I want to ask you, though, because I want to bring – I'm throwing you an audible here. Um, And it just popped into my head because we're comparing Grimes and Washington. They're also not the same age where, yes, Washington is only a sophomore compared to Grimes being a freshman. But Grimes is an 18-year-old kid halfway through to being a 19-year-old kid. And you've got P.J. Washington, who just turned 20. What are you thinking NBA-wise, if you're an NBA team, about age? Would you rather take someone who's like Grimes, 18, 
we get a few more years, even though those first two years might be a little bit of us molding him? Or would you rather have a guy like P.J. Washington who might be 20 or a guy that I have in my big board that's even older, Brandon Clark, who, yeah, he's a junior, but he's 22 years old. He's all like six more years, and he's in our he's in his prime technically. It depends on what team you are. If you are willing to mold a guy, work with the guy, mm-hmm. and then get some more time out of him, you go with the younger guy. But if you don't want to have to do as much molding, and you're getting the player for what they most likely are going to be, mm-hmm. what you see is what you get type of thing, then you go for the older guy. That's that's what I'm that's what I'm thinking. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you're a if you're a pretty good team in the NBA already, you can probably take the you could you could probably do either. You could probably take the younger guy and and use him and 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 get him into the game, you know, every once in a while. Mm-hmm. Um you know, if you're a if you're a, a a team that's not as good in the NBA, maybe you want the the guy who's got a little bit more experience. Of course you want the best guy. I yeah. mean, but but if you're talking ages here, maybe you want the guy who's got a little bit more experience who's not as raw of a talent. I mean, a lot of times guys no matter what are still a raw talent coming out of college, but maybe you want a a talent that's that's not as raw. Well, and like the thing in this, I'll say this before we um, get into the, just the last two really quick before we go into the second segment. The thing with me when it comes to age is basically the fact of for a guy like Grimes, it's going to be it won't be a knock if you're like, oh, he's rough around the edges. We got to work with him. But for a guy like P.J. Washington, it's going to be more of a knock. And the yeah, reason why I agree with you. I, the reason why I say that is just look to last year. I'm going to throw out some of the guys who weren't freshmen that got drafted. Mikhail Bridges. Pretty like he was a pretty like you knew what you were going to get from him and didn't have to mold him too much at the next level. Miles Bridges. Did he have some things that he had to work on? Yes. But you knew what you were going to get from Miles Bridges. Dante Dean Vincenzo. Of course, he had his coming out party in the NCAA tournament, but he was a guy, knew what you were going to get. He's a guy that maybe fits in that dream on green mold of, I'm not going to be the leading scorer, but I'm going to fit whatever role you need for the team. And then the last one, the probably, I think he was one of the oldest guys in the first round, Grayson Allen. Like, you knew what you were going to get from Grayson Allen. A, a trip here and there, but I mean, you knew what you were going to get from Grayson Allen. There wasn't much of like, oh, man, we really got to work on this with him, although he still had some things he needed to work on at the next level. So I think that's going to be the big thing for P.J. Washington of, yes, there's going to be things you have to work on, but as a 20-year-old kid, you can't be as – it'll be more of a knock if you have a ton of things that you have to work on, whereas Quentin Grimes could say, oh, he's 18, 19 – it's fine. We've got time to kind of mold him. One guy I want to ask you about here at the end is Trey Jones. Talking about overshadowed. So Sean and Dave and myself on the fast break had a conversation about Cam Reddish. Is he being overshadowed by Zion and RJ? To me, I want to ask you the question, is Trey Jones being overshadowed by the big three at Duke, not Cam Reddish? I'd say yes. I'd say that Trey Jones is definitely being overshadowed. I remember, Ricky, when we did our segment um, maybe just two weeks back, and you had asked, will Duke go undefeated? 
And I said no. You said yes. And I was right, of course. Um, but the odds I, were in your favor. They were. I, they were. I knew they were. Um, but uh, still right. Just want to point that out. Um, I had said that Duke, one of the things with them to watch for is, yes, they have these big three. And they're all very, very good. They have so many talents. They bring a lot to the floor each and every night. Mm-hmm. But what does everybody else do? What does everyone else do? What's what happens if there's an injury? The guy is not the big does, three. Does Duke does Duke have a good bench? We don't know. We don't know. No one talks about them, and mm-hmm. that's the problem. So yes, I would say, while maybe someone can make the case that one of the big three is being overshadowed by the other two, you can make that case. But I think you can make a stronger case for the fact that someone like Trey Jones, who, the the brother of Tyus Jones, a guy who is a you know, just has lived to be a point guard, have lived for this spot on Duke, is being overshadowed by these other guys who once they said that they were committing to Duke, it's been all them all the time. Mm-hmm. And you forget that Duke even has anyone else that plays on their team. And I mean, the thing that I kind of look at with Trey Jones is I feel like, and this is the third time I'm going to say this guy's name, He's going to be the Draymond Green-esque player of the Duke Blue Devils. And the reason why I say that is, no, he's not going to be a six-something power forward that just bodies guys and kicks them in the balls. Um, But what he is going to be is that guy where I was reading an article after, so I found it during the podcast on the fast break, and I dove into it when I got home that day. It's from uh, balldurham.com, which is the fan-sided site for the Duke Blue Devils, and one of their writers, um, Zach, wrote a great article about Trey Jones, how in their fifth game of the season, where he had 16 po- 17 points, they played um, Gonzaga, Trey Jones proved that he can be an aggressive scorer. For the first time all year, had the most shots that he's ever taken in a game, went 7 of 14, he went to the, didn't go to the line enough, in my opinion. Like, if you're going to be a guy that's getting those shots, driving to the lane, you should maybe go to the line a little bit more. Um, only went there for one for one shot, but he took two. So one, one time at the line, but he made both of them. But he's also a guy who, when he doesn't score, like the game against Eastern Michigan, yeah, he only went one for seven. But he had eight assists, mm-hmm. he had steals, yep. he had blocks. Like that's what I think Tyus Jones' role is gonna be because Trey, Trey Jones. Um Tyus, Tyus is his a brother, brother yes. in the NBA. Um the reason I think he needed to step up as that aggressive scorer against the Zags was because the big three were not the big three. Like Zion struggled in the beginning. RJ struggled in the beginning. Cam Reddish had virtually, you could say, his worst game of the entire season against the Gonzaga Bulldogs. Like, that is why Tyus Jones had to step up. When they have a bad game, will he step up like that? But if they don't need it, is he just going to find his role and fit in and be that good teammate to do whatever he has to do to help the team win? Yeah, I think he I think he will. I think that right now he just needs to continue to to play the role that they're they're asking him to play. The last mm-hmm. two two games he's had thirty nine minutes against uh, you know number eight Auburn, number three Gonzaga. 
so he's getting a little bit more time there the the most he's been been uh called upon to to play and he's you know 10 points and 17 points respectively that's good with with four rebounds six assists against auburn and four rebounds three assists against gonzaga a guy like trey jones is being the point guard you always want to see those assists up Mm -hmm. you know the the points are great uh, but a lot of times i look at a point guard as you don't have to be the main scorer you you know you want to be able to score points but you also want to be the guy who's able to to dish be able to create some space for some some other players as well uh, get some guys open find some guys get some good looks uh, i think that that's passing obviously uh, those are all the kind of the key things that you're going to be looking for from a point guard as well which is why which is why Trey Jones is extremely important mm-hmm. to this team uh, and that's why he can't get lost here at Duke otherwise they won't end up having the great success that they certainly can have this season so the last question i'm going to ask you has to do with a guy called Darius Garland. And the reason why I'm bringing this up is this is a guy, first four games into the year, I'm even including his fifth game because they're going to as well, 16 points per game. He rebounds the ball well, had seven against Alcorn State, five against USC. And that USC game had 19 points, went to the line for four foul shots, went three of five from beyond the arc. reason why I'm bringing him up, though, is... On Friday, the 23rd, against Kent State, two minutes into the game, only took one shot, made it. Darius Garland gets a meniscus injury. They didn't say what it was. They're just saying he's out indefinitely. So from the article, star point guard Darius Garland has a meniscus injury in his left knee and is out indefinitely, Vanderbilt announced Saturday morning. The question I want to ask you is, we don't know how long he's out for. I even looked because the coach said, oh, he was supposed to get more tests tonight, being Saturday, um, but nothing on Google um, for news on this injury. What I want to ask you, this is a guy that on Tankathon right now is, he was projected, where does their mock draft have him? 17th overall to the Boston Celtics. If he misses a substantial amount of time, with this meniscus injury in his left knee, could we have, not on the same scale, but a Michael Porter Jr.-esque problem for Darius Garland where it's like, wow, we might have been comparing you to the second best point guard behind or the next point guard behind John Morant, but now because of this injury, you're just sliding down draft boards as the year goes on and you're not out there playing for Vanderbilt. Well, I think that this could be worse than the Michael Porter Jr. scenario mm-hmm. because of the fact that Michael Porter Jr. people talked about is he could be a number one. Yeah, They're not talking about uh, this guy being a potential number one. Mm-hmm. They're talking about him being 17. Yeah. And that was, you know, that was right now. So I, I think we could see him sliding a little bit more, uh, a little farther down, uh, you know, potentially out. It depends on how you're able to come back from the injury, how long it's going to take, mm-hmm. how you come back from it, how you perform once you're back, if you're able to perform again this this season, all of those factors. So I don't think I can give a concrete answer as of right now, but I can tell you that it's different than Michael Porter Jr. because of the position that, that you're at. And Michael Porter was out at the, obviously, the beginning of the season, came back at the end, Will this be you know similar to that in terms mm-hmm. of the timetable of when you when he'll come back? Mm-hmm. But 
right now it's a it's a wait and see. I just I look at it and my kind of two cents with it is I'm on the side of it's going to be if he's out for let's say it's almost like Michael Porter Jr. where he misses a substantial part of the season could be more detrimental to him than Michael Porter Jr. because Michael Porter Jr. You're not going to fall from number one all the way to out of the first round. That's what I'm saying. Um, that's what I. And that's that's yeah. and that's what I mentioned is that the, whereas, it's, it's worse for this guy. Whereas also with the injury that Michael Porter Jr. had, it was yeah your back kind of limits your mobility. But as a player of Michael Porter Jr., he could adapt his play style and still be. He could still fit as maybe not a three, but maybe oh I'm going to play as a four in the NBA. If you're Darius Garland and you want to do what you're doing as a point guard and want to attack the basket, you can't do that with a bum knee. You can't do that with ligaments in your knee that are not strong and that maybe, and I'm not saying it's not going to repair right, but things that with a weak knee, you can't do it. You need to be strong in the knees or else you're going to be like Chris Paul and just be one knee injury away from missing a playoff series and losing to the Golden State Warriors. So for me... I think it'll be more detrimental, mainly because he's the number two point guard behind John Morant, and you know who could overtake him if he has a couple better games? The guy we just talked about in Trey Jones, where we could see Garland and Jones kind of flip when it comes to point guards on the national ranking um, scale, because obviously everyone's going to have their own rankings for point guards. But before we move into the next segment, I'm going to throw it to you guys Anything we talked about, any of the guys that we have in here, let us know what you guys think down below in that comment section. What do you think about Quentin Grimes, P.J. Washington, Darius Garland? What do you think about Trey Jones? Let us know what you guys think. But, Brandon, let's move on into our next portion of our big board, and we're going to take a look at number 15 through number 6. If you are on YouTube, make sure to go check out our Individually, you can go check out our segment where we did 25 through 16, or you can go check it out audio like the wonderful people listening on podcast services around the world and get the full big board 25 all the way to number one. But what we are going to do, Brandon, is 15 through number six. We'll start with you. Go ahead, start at 15 and give us your next 10 guys on the big board. Well, at 15, I've got uh, Kenny Wooten from the power forward from Oregon, uh, who's certainly o- o- overshadowed by by another guy that's coming up. Uh, number 14, DeAndre Hunter, the small forward from Virginia. At 13, John Morant, the point guard from Murray State. At 12, Charles Bassey, the center from Western Kentucky. At 11, Ball Ball, the center from Oregon. At 10, Jalen Horde. The small forward slash power forward from Wake Forest. At number nine, Daniel Gafford, the power forward slash center from Arkansas. At eight, Naz Reed, the center from LSU. At seven, Chris Wilkes, the small forward from UCLA. And at six, Rui Hachimura, the small forward slash power forward from Gonzaga. And one of my favorite names to say, Hachimura, uh, from the Gonzaga Bulldogs. Going into my number 15, Got Charles Bassey, the center from the Western Kentucky Hilltoppers. Then Jarrett Culver, the guard from the Texas Tech Red Raiders. Then a guy who I believe has only played about two minutes this year. 
Very limited time coming back with an injury. That Oregon team will look different when he does. Lewis King, the forward from the Oregon Ducks. Then number 12, our first international player on a big board, Sekou Demboya, the forward from France. Then you got number 12, Dave Bo- Dave's boy, Ja Morant, the guard from the Murray State Racers. Then at number 10, Quentin Grimes, the guard from Kansas. Number 9, Calden Johnson, the guard forward from the Kentucky Blue, the Kentucky Wildcats. I was thinking blue, big blue nation in I was my head. Trying to wonder was, what you were getting so out there. I said Kentucky, and then I thought in my head big blue nation. I wanted to say blue cats, um, but no, it's the Wildcats. Then number eight, Kevin Porter Jr. I believe no relation to Michael Porter Jr. Um, the guard from USC. Then at number seven, DeAndre Hunter, the guard forward from the Virginia Cavaliers. And then rounding everything off at number six, Ball Ball, the son of Manute Ball, the center from the Oregon Ducks. And that's exactly, Brandon, who you want to start with. Ball Ball, I have him at six, you have him at 11. What is your thought process when you think of Ball Ball because Dave and Sean, the week that I was sick and not on the fast break, they have already had a conversation about him where they're kind of comparing him to Kristaps Porzingis, who kind of calling him a unicorn in all senses of the word and saying that he could be the next unicorn that we see in the NBA. What are your thoughts when it comes to uh, the unicorn in ball ball? Well, they're not wrong, I don't think. I think that (laughs) them making that comparison is probably pretty accurate. Uh, He is a huge man Mm -hmm. with a great wingspan. This guy shrinks the floor. Mm-hmm. And he makes it very difficult for offensive offensive players. Um, I, I think that with his wingspan, with how big he is, he's he just gets in the way. But he's more than just that. He's also a really good scorer. He's been really, really great so far to open this season for the Ducks. I think that... One of the things, too, is that he's got a great basketball IQ. And and I know that a lot of times people would be like, oh, a big guy having such a great big you know basketball IQ because they, no offense to these two fellas mm-hmm. who I'm sure are, are listening to this, <laughs> but, uh, you know, Shaq and Charles, they don't necessarily, they don't <laughs> scream a great basketball IQ. Well, I mean, Shaq couldn't hit the broadside of a barn from the foul line. Like I said. <laughs> but, but, you know, I, there's, there's so many things with ball ball is he's, Great with dunks, putbacks, mm-hmm. blocks, rebounds, everything around the rim. He is the rim protector. And he's just, there's not enough good things that you can say about him. However, I think he could be a better defender and, and a quicker d- uh, defensive player. And, and I think he also needs to be a little bit of a quicker shooter. Mm-hmm. You know, those are some of the only knocks that I would have to him. But. I mean, clearly it hasn't seemed to really affect him negatively to this point. Mm -hmm. But I think just to be able to be better and some things that a a scout would be be nitpicking at might be a couple of those uh, types of things. But but again, so many positives, so many positives for for this guy. And, And I have him at 11 right now, which is, you know, a lot of people may say, how can you have him so low? Mm -hmm. But. I think having him at 11 gives him a lot of room to be able to still move up in, in the in the big board. I want to compare him to a different player um, than Kristaps Porzingis. 
He is the, and I don't think that this is too far of a stretch, he's the Mo Bamba of this draft class. And when I say that, he's going to be the guy that if you love ball ball, he's going to be top 10, cracking almost the top five. If you're unsure about ball ball, he's going to be a little bit lower. Like he's a guy where he's got a ton of potential. And that's why where that U word comes in, that unicorn word comes into play because it's like he can fit a skill set in the NBA that we might not have seen. Like when Kristaps Porzingis came in, how many Knicks, Knicks fans booed the Knicks, booed Phil Jackson? You had Stephen A. Smith calling for Phil Jackson's head because he made the worst possible pick, and then, oh, shoot, Porzingis is actually um, pretty good and is now kind of a superstar in the NBA, whereas I'm not saying Ball Ball is going to be a superstar, but you look if you look at the numbers, and when I was looking at his tape, he doesn't, like, last year Mo Bamba and me had a very special relationship where I was like that giddy high school girl that just fell in love with the guy. You probably like, you probably still listen to his song every day, don't exactly. you? The first, like, the, the, <laughs> Mo, the Mo Bamba song. I did. I, well, actually, funny thing about that is I teach music, and I had the eighth graders print out a song because we're talking about, like, rhyme scheme and stuff, and one of them printed out the Mo Bamba song. And I was like, great, because that is great rhyme scheme. Um, but <laughs> it was funny that they printed it out, and I'm like, oh, we were talking about Mo Bamba last year. But Mo Bamba to me, he was like, I was in love with Mo Bamba from the start. Yes, you were. Ball Ball and me, I don't know what it is. Like, I watch his film, and I go, I should love you just like I loved Ball, or just like I loved Bamba, but I don't. I don't feel that same attachment to it. And I don't know if it's because I'm not watching enough Oregon duck basketball. Like I was watching um, Texas because of uh, Shaka smart and everything that was going on with them. But like, if you look at the stats, better field goal percentage than Mo Bamba better shoots about the similar, maybe a little bit less by like 0.3 attempts that Mo Bamba shot from three actually hits at a better percent. And he's better at the free throw line. Like, better, better, better than Mo Bamba. The only real thing that Mo Bamba did that was better than him was had about a rebound more per game and had about 0.5, maybe half a block more than Ball Ball had. Um, But really, it's he's going to be the Mo Bamba-esque player of you're going to have to work with him But if you could bring out the most of his potential, he could really be something special to a team at the next level. Well, this is going to absolutely be a a special player. I mean, Mm 7'2", this guy is huge. I mean, he's got the he has got the size. That is that is for sure. There's to me, though, there's not as much that you're going to have to do with him Mm -hmm. as you were going to have to do with Mo Bamba. And with with Mo Bamba, you needed you know he needed to add some some weight on mm-hmm. not not in terms of get fat but in terms of you've got to get a little bigger so you can be more physical you don't think ball ball has to add a little bit of muscle i mean i i guess i mean he's about if you look at the weight he's about 222 where mo bamba was 225 those arms look lanky I, I, to me man i don't i don't know i guess i just feel like ball ball to to, to me I don't know. Maybe it's just because of his his height. Maybe mm-hmm. because he's 
I, I don't know. He's not that 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 much bigger he's than not Mo Bamba, DeAndre but, Ayton, for but sure. He's not. He's not DeAndre Ayton. Like, but DeAndre he's, Ayton was like a man. He, he was huge. He was huge. But still, I think Ball Ball is is a big guy, and maybe that's what's making mm-hmm. the difference in my mind. Is that is his height is is making the difference for me? Since Mo, with Mo Bamba being what was he six eight six nine something so, like that. Mo Bamba was. He was set just over seven foot, like seven You've and gotta three be quarters. I well, then who am I thinking of that he's a scrap that? Then maybe I'm wrong. Yeah, I don't know. Mo, he just seems different. Mo Bamba was, and I'm looking at Tankathon. Of course, here's the thing. Sean has a problem with this too. It doesn't matter what height we say because someone else is looking at a different website that says a different height because he was wearing shoes, and then this one he wasn't wearing shoes, and this one he put freaking those. Those things you can put in your shoes to make you an inch or two taller. So it's like when I look at heights, as long as you're in the ballpark, like the big thing that people were complaining about with Dave and Sean is they said seven nine wingspan. When it's like, no, no, let's not cut them that inch short. Mo Bamba has a seven ten wingspan, not a seven nine. That one inch makes all the difference, man. I guess I don't I don't know what it is, but there's just something different I think to to ball ball than there was with mm-hmm. than there was with Mo Bamba. Maybe in a maybe in a in a good way. Mm-hmm. What I would like to see from Ball Ball though is that he should be he should be getting a double double a game. Mm-hmm. The fact that he's you know he, he didn't he didn't in Iowa he didn't uh, against Syracuse he didn't against Green Bay and I know he's coming just one you know one shy in terms of a, a rebound and three shy. At a, he should be getting a double double a game. You're mm-hmm. you are that big. You are probably bigger than most people out there on that court. You should be getting yeah. double double a game. That's that you know that that that's you know one of the things uh, with it. But there's not a whole lot of things that I'm seeing wrong with with this guy, or that you can't teach him. That's that's the type of thing is that you look at a player that you go, okay, he's already really good with what he's given me. Mm-hmm. But then can we take what we have here? And mold that into something that will be better, or is this a, a, a what you see is what you get type of thing? Because with DeAndre Ayton, you talk about uh, what you see is what you get. That that to me, DeAndre Ayton was kind of the finished product right no, there. I think, he was he was big. What you what you saw from him in mm-hmm. terms of his play, that was probably it. There wasn't probably going to be a whole lot more that that DeAndre Ayton was going to provide. No, I but, think Ball Ball is going to be moldable, and the reason why is. He's a guy that, I mean, because of his height, stick him down low. He's like the just the film that I pulled up right here. It's just a matter of he's in the paint. He's got that box out kind of. It might look a little bit like, I don't want to say elementary or like fundamentally, where it almost looks like, Somebody who is I don't I don't even want to say that because that's a disrespect to Ball Ball. Um, it just looks like all right. Here's where I'm supposed to be. Where he's not venturing too far out. And the thing that I would like for him to add to that game is maybe add a little bit more of that shot, kind of like what Mo Bamba did, but his was different. Where he was doing the over the head kind of three point shot. Where Ball Ball, it's just like you said his speed and just kind of fixing minor tweaks to what his shot is. But I think he's going to be, he's going to be, it's not going to be like he'll walk in and be dominant, but you add a little bit of muscle, get him in a weight room, work on a shot a little bit. He's got all the tools of someone. Plus with Oregon, a thing that'll be interesting, 
Lewis King comes back, although he's listed as a forward, I'm pretty sure Lewis King is going to be running that offense a little bit for them. And that should probably help having that point forward presence for the Oregon Ducks once King comes back. Well, here on Forbes, it's saying that Ball Ball is generously listed at seven foot two, mm-hmm. two thirty five. He said, but there's a lot of people who don't believe mm-hmm. that he actually weighs that much. So, yeah. so, so, so he is, so he is bigger you than that. Uh, Mo Bamba. You look at any website, they'll tell you something different, but. Let's move on to a different player, and a player that I absolutely love, and this is why I have him right below Ball Ball. Because for me, in my big board, I have DeAndre Hunter, Kevin Porter Jr., Keldon Johnson. And the reason why I put DeAndre Hunter at 7 over the other two is, yes, you can say, well, Ricky, it's the debate that you kind of had in the first segment of DeAndre Ayton's or DeAndre Hunter, a little bit older, 20 years old, going to be turning 21 very soon as a sophomore. But I absolutely love what he can do, not just offensively, but what he brings to the table defensively for a team that's going to draft him. Yeah, he's a versatile defender. He's got great size. He works well on the perimeter. Um, This is a guy who also can be very effective from three mm-hmm. but you you talk about that on the on the defensive side I know it's a very score points as much and and as many times as you can in the NBA but I think also if you are able to be effective on both sides of the floor that's going to help uh even more with your with your with your draft stock so I think that he has probably one of the biggest impacts on both sides of the floor than anybody else uh, that we're talking about right now in college basketball. And he's doing it for a team that, until last season, when they got into the tournament well, and they he lost, got, he got that they were, and then he lost. That, that, that they were, you know, the defensive team. And then all of a sudden, they no longer had defense. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's he's playing for the right team in college, being able uh, to to be in, in, in that system. He's a special player. And I, and I think the thing that kind of sold me with it, and I know that... This might be a very analytic type of answer, but I went into Tankathon's got this great feature where you can compare players. And yeah, you're working with their per 36, which is kind of ideal world. It's not exactly what their game stats are. But because I was trying to figure out what order I wanted to put Kevin Porter Jr., Keldon Johnson, and DeAndre Hunter in. And when you look at their per, Offensive win share, defensive win share, their win share period, their offensive rating, defensive rating, their offensive BPM, their defensive BPM, their BPM period. Guess who out of the three has the best rating for all of those categories I listed? DeAndre Hunter. Like, he is the one where it's, to me... Any team that drafts him is not only going to get... This is a, like, he is, to me, the Mikhail Bridges type of player in this draft. And, like, when I say that, like, oh, Ball Ball's the Mo Bamba type player. Oh, DeAndre Hunter is the Mikhail Bridges type player. I'm not saying that they're exactly the same. What I am saying is, last year with Mikhail Bridges, the reason why he was so high is not only was he good offensively, he was good defensively. And he was that older player where you knew what you were going to get 
and didn't have to worry about, oh, we got to tweak this and tweak that. DeAndre Hunter's the same way. He's going to be that older player, 21 at the point of him being drafted. You're not going to worry about, oh, we got to fix this and fix that. He's going to be a guy that, hey, we can draft and we can pretty much plug him in and he is going to help us pretty much from day one in even if it's in a off-the-bench kind of a role and he's not a starter for that team. Well, DeAndre Hunter does something that not every single player that we've talked about does is he provides a level of consistency to his game mm-hmm. in, in every facet as kind of what you what mm-hmm. you read off there which is why he's the best in you know in a lot of those categories he's just a consistent player offensively and defensively and that is why you talk about a team can just plug him in there He's going to give you consistency, and he's going to give you production. Mm -hmm. Those are the type of players that they don't come around every single draft, and if they do, there's only a handful of them that are there. One last guy I want to bring up and kind of bring him in because he's kind of a similar mold to DeAndre Hunter in the fact that he's an older, more experienced player, Roy Hachimura. And the reason why I bring him in, he'll be a guy who – will be turning 21 soon also. He is a junior for the Gonzaga Bulldogs. He is a guy, I watched him against my Illinois Fighting Illini in a game that Illinois probably should have won, um, but I realized why they lost because the Bulldogs are a really good team and won it late. But he was a guy, especially in Maui, that, yeah, Brandon Clark and Killian, Killian Tilly are good as well, but... Hachimura is just one of those players where, to me, is he like DeAndre Hunter? No. DeAndre Hunter is the better player all around than Hachimura. But Hachimura is one of those players that, yeah, you might have to tweak a little bit more things, mainly on the defensive side, but he's a guy offensively that can contribute to an NBA team, to me, almost immediately in some facet, even if it's off the bench. Kind of the same thing I was saying about DeAndre Hunter. Rui's kind of one of those those guys. He's a he's a tweener player between a three and a four. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that's where he's at. He's not really solely a three or solely a four um on the on the floor. And and that could be I mean that I guess you could take that as a as a positive or a, or a negative potentially. Mm-hmm. But but this is a a guy who's a really good catch and shoot player. He's one of the guys who certainly sunk the Duke Blue Devils for their first loss of the season um in uh, in Hawaii. This is Hawaii, right? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, Maui. Okay. I yeah. just okay, I wanted to I said that and then I'm like is it was that right? I I was pretty sure that it was. <laughs> I was um, looking at some of the pictures I watched uh Bill Walton canoeing during the uh, Illinois Gonzaga game, and you love boy, that guy. I, w- I wish I was out there, man. You love that. Could guy. you imagine us doing a podcast and just cutting to me, just doing some rowing out in uh, one of the Hawaii lakes? That's basically what it was like. Yeah, yeah, with you with your Hawaiian shirt yeah. and your leg. Yeah, I mean we could we could do it. <laughs> we could, we could do a podcast like that tomorrow, but I wouldn't because it snowed here for the first time. Gosh. <laughs> so so discouraging. It wasn't snowing in Hawaii, but go on with uh, Hachimura. Yeah, no, I was just I was just gonna say that he's a he's an aggressive player mm-hmm. in the paint. 
a, a knock that you could have against him is that sometimes he tends to be a straight line drive player mm-hmm. that also Just then tunnel vision to the basket, which is kind of what we saw with Miles um, Bridges mm-hmm. uh, for for a time over at Michigan State, which which started to be after he stayed at Michigan State and didn't mm-hmm. go to the draft in in the, the after that that year that we all thought okay he's he's leaving by he stayed and you know I think he started people started to see that a little bit more but he also i think started to get that out of his game and go away from doing solely that because then for a defender that's easy mm-hmm. that's that's kind of easy to to defend against and you, and you start to become someone who's very predictable a very predictable player so if he could you know go away from doing that i'm not saying he does it all the time but he sometimes tends to do that a little too much but this is a this is a, a good player a strong player junior for the Bulldogs, a guy who, without him, I mean, this is a consistent score that is mm-hmm. putting up good points, solid, like solid numbers game. every single game. Mm-hmm. Without him, they are not the the number one through three team that they that oh, they pretty much are right they're now. They're number one right now. Oh, they're number one they right jumped, now. But they jumped Kansas. <laughs> no, I understand, but I'm I'm just saying, you know, a, a one to three yeah. team. I mean, I, I don't think that they're anywhere beneath that right now they're in not terms gonna of be, anyone's polling. They wouldn't be a number one seed in the tournament without them. No. Basically, let's say that. They wouldn't be a one seed in the tournament without They may not even get far without Yeah. Them. I mean, you, you just you, you just wouldn't. I mean, and it's not again. It's not just mm-hmm. it's not just the points. It's just his presence on the floor. And you say you mentioned the tunnel vision thing. The thing I like about that. There's a thing I like about that, but with that comes a thing I don't like. The Tell me about I, the things. The thing I like is that you look at his free throw attempts per game. He gets to the line a lot. Yeah, he does. Like against Duke, nine attempts. Against Illinois, nine attempts. Like the fewest attempts that he has had. Five. The only problem is I wish he was a lit. It's kind of like I compare it to completion percentage for a quarterback when we talk NFL. Like 65, 60, 65% is really what I'm looking for. For him, I really wish he was above 70% from the line. Maybe even like 75 would be perfect. But like he's a 67%, which is like you're that close, just a little bit more because it's like even in that Duke game, Five of nine. Like, you missed out on four points. Yeah, you hit over half of those foul shots, but it's like there are some games like Texas A&M, three of six from the line, three of five for the line. Um, it's just, the yeah, it's nice to get to the line, but I wish I was seeing more seven of nines like he did against Illinois rather than, or and Idaho State and not that five of nine that he did against Duke. Maybe just getting that free throw percentage up a little bit, but that isn't like a huge knock. Of course, without that Duke game, he's probably closer to 70%. But like that's the thing that I like, but then I don't like right now because I want that foul shot percentage to be a little higher. I agree with you. You've always been that type of guy. I you you are free, always you are always points. above above seventy percent of the free, free throw line above seventy percent. That's that's what you have always stressed they're in fr- all of these. They're free points, man. Like you're standing there, no one like Markel. You don't need to pump fake it. There's nobody standing in front of you. Like these are free points for you to take, and it's just that is that's my one bugaboo, and it comes at bugaboo. the foul line for anything. I'm gonna look really quick because there's always that one player. 
that um, I always ask about. Um, I am going to ask about one kind of off the cuff, just really quick. Sure. Charles Bassey. He's a guy to me that I looked at, watched some of his film, and I was like, because coming into this year, I was like, well, Gafford, he's the number one center. And I went, huh, who's this Charles Bassey guy? And I'm like, wow, he's playing like a man a man among boys. I wonder if he's going to be one where, yeah, he's the number one center right now, but I wonder if it's going to be because he plays at Western Kentucky, and when we get to conference season, the type of opponents that – Western Kentucky is going to play this year. It's going to be vastly different than what the Arkansas Razorbacks are going to see this year. You're right, but at the same time, I think if if Bassey keeps at the level of production that he's had uh, to this point in the season, it, it doesn't. I want to say it doesn't matter to the opponent, but at the same time, it it it, it doesn't mm-hmm. because if he keeps up the level of production, I I don't. I don't see why his name is going to be disappearing or, or even dropping too much uh, at, at, at either at this point or even at that point because it'd be it'd be one thing if he just kind of fell off and, mm-hmm. and everything like that because it'd be easy to do that because yeah. it is Western Kentucky and it's mm-hmm. not one of the the big names they're they're not in the top twenty five they're not I don't think close to the top twenty five mm-hmm. uh, as of you know right now or maybe ever but I, I think it's it's going to help keep him alive uh if he keeps you know playing well it doesn't matter to the team that he's playing for and that, but that's but that's how it's always for mm-hmm. i mean i i've got a you know another guy on here from from san diego state mm-hmm. uh, you know if, if as long i think it's as long as you're, you pl- you're playing McDaniels. well yeah Jalen mcdaniels um couldn't remember his name of mm-hmm. course but you continue to play well it doesn't matter who you're playing mm-hmm. for if you keep up your level of production consistency people are going to find you well, this is where you guys come in. Let us know what you guys think down below about anything we talk about. Mainly, Ball Ball and DeAndre Hunter were the main ones we hit, but we also had Roy Hachimura, Hachimura in this one. So let us know what you guys think about our 15 through number 6. But, Brandon, let's close out our big board going through our top five, respectively, for the big board. If you're on YouTube, make sure to check out both of our first two segments where we went through 25 through 16 and 15 through 6, or... You can be like the great many people, the ladies and gentlemen who check us out on podcast services around the world. And you can check out the full podcast over there in audio form. But, Brandon, we are going to end the big board portion, like I said, with our top five. I will let you go first. Who's your top five, starting with number five? You're a true gentleman. At, at number five, well, I've ladies got— Ladies first, as they say. Uh, screw you. Uh, I've got Romeo Langford, the shooting guard from IU. Number four, Nasir Little, the small forward from North Carolina. At three, Cam Reddish, the shooting guard, uh, small forward from Duke. And number two, I've got R.J. Barrett, the shooting guard from Duke. Number one, I've got Zion Williamson, the power forward from Duke. So what's funny is we have these same five people in our top five. Just mixed around. Just everyone except number one is mixed around. And for me, number five, Nasir Little, the forward from the North Carolina Tar Heels. Then at number four, the Hoosier, Romeo Langford, the guard. Then number three, R.J. Barrett, the forward from Duke. Then at number two, Cam Reddish, the forward from Duke. And then number one, Zion Williamson, the guy that I am hoping, hoping that the Bulls get. And by the way, I'm just going to infuse this in here because of how much I want Zion Williamson. Um, Here's a tweet today that I had to retweet, Brandon. Um, Because I really want um, Zion Williamson. 
and this is from a Bulls standpoint, this is from Bulls scripted, he said, if the Bulls lose to the Spurs, Bucks, Pistons, and Rockets before Markkinen's potential return against Indy on December 4th, they'll be 5-19. and Even with Markkinen returning, Indy, OKC, Boston are his first three games back. Likely on small minutes restriction, Bulls could be 5-22 and before they face the Kings. Hashtag tank for Zion. Man, and you thought the Bulls were bad last year. They're bad this year. Tank They're for, real bad. Hashtag tank for Zion. That's what I'm going with. Tank for I'll Zion. I'll be honest with you. I, I don't think the Bulls need to try and tank. They're just that bad. Here's the question I want to ask you. Is basically You this just have segment, one, one question? Basically, we're talking about three guys in this segment. <laughs> is So, on the fast break... We've already talked about, is Zion NBA ready? Duh, he is. You think so? Then Cam Reddish. Is is he being overshadowed by Zion Williamson and R.J. Barrett? The thing I'm going to ask you, Brandon, is what are your thoughts about these three Dukies, and why did you put them in the order Williamson, Barrett, and Reddish? Well, I I think number one with with Zion Williamson is he's just an animal. He's an, he's an animal. I mean, at, mm-hmm. at, at about 6'6", 6'7", 280, 285, depending on where you're looking, great length, good touch on his jumper. Mm-hmm. The guy can shoot from the perimeter. He can work inside, got a good mid-range jumper. There's really not much the kid does wrong. Mm-hmm. And I say kid, and it doesn't even feel right to say kid. Well, I can say kid. You can't. I'm a little bit older than you are. It's true. You are an old man. You, you, I'm about 10 years get, older than You getting than gray in the beard yet? No, no. Luckily. Luckily. I think I got no gray hairs as of yet, which is good. I think one of the things that Zion maybe needs to improve upon is, mm-hmm. is developing more of a rhythm on the perimeter. Mm-hmm. But there's not. I mean, I, I don't see a lot. There's no like gaping. There's no gaping problems in his game. No, there's no gaping problems in his game, especially when he dunks and every breakaway rim is going to be tested by him all year. I mean, it, you just you just look at it. It's just amazing. Mm-hmm. I mean, all the all, all the stuff, all the all the notes that I've that I've got after after watching <laughs> these guys. It's like but, you know, I honestly that you, you talk about. Zion is is for me clearly the number one, but all mm-hmm. three of these Duke players deserve to be here. Could it's, go number one if the other two weren't there. <laughs> like if Cam Reddish was the only one of these three players, would probably be number one. Yeah. If RJ Barrett yeah. was the only one, would be number one. Yeah, and I mean by 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 wa- watching them, mm-hmm. they all have very similar type of styles mm-hmm. to but, me, but distinct. But distinct. Um, I and I put I I. I I put R.J. Barrett at, at at two, a pure shooter, guy who can move without the ball, great spacing. He can become streaky at times. That's that's one of the things that I, that I've noticed. He he has um, become streaky, and I think sometimes he needs a little bit more diversity mm-hmm. in his game. But his athleticism is great. He moves great in traffic with the basketball. Cam Reddish, though, on the other hand. Strong transition player, can heat up from the outside, sometimes settles, though, for for shots, as mm-hmm. a lot of players do. And just as he can heat up from the outside, he can also be a streaky shooter. But great size and length for a wing, he's, a, he's another great player. The three of them, I, I like all three. There's, the, for, for me, R.J. Barrett, Cam Reddish... You could probably interchange them, 
You could probably put Reddish at two and put Barrett at three and make the make the uh, argument. Mm-hmm. But I also think you can make the argument that Barrett's two and, and Reddish is three. So here's the thing that I think about is Zion's clearly number one, just from what we've seen. Yeah. He's a freak. He can do everything that you want. Like I've already, in Dave's words, I've already crowned Zion Williamson because his ceiling to me, like the best that Zion Williamson can be is that when LeBron James is no longer in the league, Zion Williamson will be the next best thing. Like when LeBron is no longer in the NBA, we will look to Zion Williamson as the best player in the NBA. That is what I think his full potential, his final form per se, is in my mind. The other two, though, I like, for me personally, and I know this is splitting hairs, but I like Cam Reddish a little bit more than I like R.J. Barrett. And the reason why is just by watching the film, I like the outside shot a lot more from Cam Reddish than I do with R.J. Barrett. I also like Cam Reddish because I feel like he can do like he can assist a little bit better than RJ. He can, like I said, shoot from the outside a little bit better than RJ. I like his overall game to where I was asked by Sean, oh, do you think that if he needed to, if he didn't have the other two, could he be a guy with the ball in his hands? Yes, I do, but not in the sense of RJ, where RJ is more of that I'm going to drive to the basket and drive and drive and drive, where Cam Reddish to me is more of like that Paul Pierce kind of player where I can have the ball in my hand. I'm not the point guard, but I can have the ball in my hand. I'll drive, step back, and then take that kind of that elbow extended, that mid-range jumper, and kind of can live from there all game. Now, you can debate whether or not that mid-range jumper will work necessarily in this NBA because Paul Pierce played no entirely different NBA than we are in right now. Here's the thing I worry about R.J. Barrett at the next level. I worry that he is just going to be another Russell Westbrook. And the re- the thing I say is— You, you act like that's a bad thing. Please, he, please do explain. Here's the bad thing about it is with R.J. Barrett, I wonder if it's going to be—and yes, I know what Russell Westbrook has turned into with the triple-double machine, and I'm not saying R.J. is going to be a triple-double machine— But just off of the shots alone, I wonder if he is going to be what Russell Westbrook is now, where it's like I'm looking at it and it's like 20 shots a game and you're only making about eight of them. Like you're averaging 20.8 shots per game and you're only making an average of 8.5 of them. Like, could we maybe have it be 8.5 to 14 shots per game and maybe spread the ball out a little bit, maybe get Tyus Trey Jones um, going a little bit more? And I wonder if RJ at the next level will be him by himself, like we see Russ right now, not a championship team. But if you pair him up with another top pick, a la Kevin Durant, then yeah. He'll be fine at the next level. Do That's think, what I worry about RJ. Do, do you think that he feels the need that he has to do that every think, single game? I just think or it's do, his, do, him do you as think, a player. Or do you think that Coach K is giving him the the green light? Go, do it. Go ahead and do it. And 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 if that's the case, 
if Coach K, mm-hmm. one of the most knowledgeable, smartest coaches to ever coach college basketball, mm-hmm. if he's given him that green light to do it and, and on a team, on mm-hmm. a team where he doesn't have to, mm-hmm. I mean, that's okay. Yeah. Right. I, and I think it's a little bit of that second one because Coach K, I've heard in games from like an, an, analysts and color commentators where they, they'd say like Coach K has said about this Duke team, they're the first team that he's had in a long time where he doesn't have to run sets for them. He just lets them play. He just goes out there, lets them play. And I think that's a little bit of what plays into it to where by letting them just play – RJ is being RJ, and this is what RJ is. He's a volume, I don't want to say volume scorer, I want to say a volume shooter, where he is going to shoot the ball 20 times a game. Is he going to get his points and score 22 a game? You're damn right. Same with Russ. Russ will score just as many points, if not more, at the next level. This year he's averaging about 23 points per game, so about the same, and he's averaging one less shot at the next level than RJ is in college. Like, that is, to me, plays into it as well, is what we're seeing right now is RJ being RJ. The thing that I, about Duke, that I question moving forward is when is Coach K going to, because I don't think this whole year he can just let Duke be Duke and just let him play and everything's going to be fine. I think there will be times, all right, guys, we need to kind of fit an identity a little bit and kind of this is what we do a little bit. Not kind of like fit them into a box because I don't think you want to do that, but kind of rein it in a little bit. It, think of it like a bush. The more the bush grows and grows and grows, you don't want it to get out of control. Coach K eventually at some point in the year is going to say, all right, we got we to gotta trim these hedges and just trim this Duke hedge so that conference time – it's a lot cleaner than it is right now. Although they're winning, except for that Gonzaga game or Gonzaga game. Get it right. Mm-hmm. Those fans will yeah, be those, happy. Those bulldog fans. That's a feisty. Ricky, I called a. Now I know this is different. Mm-hmm. It's women's basketball, college game. Mm-hmm. There was a player that went two of twenty-one, two of twenty-one from the field. You gonna shoot or gonna shoot, man? Two of twenty-one <laughs> in nineteen minutes. And fouled out. Mm-hmm. That is nowhere near what RJ Barrett is doing here. Mm-hmm. 13 of 26, I'm okay with that. 33 points. Helped, helped us get a win. Helped us get a blowout win over Kentucky. Mm-hmm. 9 and 19, 23 points. Five turnovers. Like to limit those. It's okay. 8 of 21, 20 points. All right. 5 of 14, not a great night, but 20 points still. Mm-hmm. 7 of 20, 18 points, 4 turnovers, limit that. 9 of 25, 23 points. I'll be honest with you. I'm really not bothered by it. I'm really not bothered by it. Mm-hmm. Now, is that something that's going to be able to sustain for the rest of the season? Is he still going to be going 13 of 26 when we get into March? Mm-hmm. Probably not. Probably not. But... I'm okay with what he's doing right now because he's not going two of 21 and getting seven points. Mm-hmm. He's He hasn't hindered the team with his shooting. Will there be a game where he might? Yes, there will be a game where he might. But to this point, 
It, it has not bothered me. That has not bothered me, and I, I bet that there's not too many people out there that have been bothered by it because it hasn't had a big effect yet. It didn't even have, I don't think, a big effect in, in their loss. It's not, well, if R.J. Barrett would have uh, not taken so many shots, we would have won. I don't think that's the case. Mm-hmm. I don't think that's the case. You lost by two. I don't think that that's the case. I, the thing that I, with that loss, and I know people are going to put it under the microscope because it's the only one, but I don't think at all they played well. But the thing that I look at is the only argument I can see in that sense of like maybe some of his shots going to somewhere else, nine of 25, yay, finished with 23 in the game. But Cam Reddish was the one that really was like, really only taking nine shots, three of nine, two of four from three. He was in foul trouble, though. He had four fouls in that game, was so close to fouling out. I just, I feel like, and it's not a bad thing to say this, but these are kind of the trajectories that I think they will have. These aren't exact A to B comparisons, maybe a little bit, but it's more of, how I feel like their NBA careers are going to project for me right now. Zion is easily. His ceiling to me is that LeBron-type player. He can come into the league, not right away, because I know people get upset with that. Oh, Ricky, you're comparing him to LeBron. That's disrespect to LeBron and what he did coming out of high school. No, it's not. For me, it's that thing where I see the greatness of Zion, and that is his ceiling, the best player in the NBA once LeBron is done and hangs it up and is not an NBA player anymore. R.J. Barrett, to me, screams Russell Westbrook to where great player, but unless you pair him up with another top, like, top number one overall pick or maybe a top five overall pick, you're probably not going to win a championship with R.J. Barrett just because of the amount, like, usually... If you're going to be a volume scorer like that, unless you're shooting like Steph Curry and hitting on those percentages, you're not going to be winning many championships. And Cam Reddish, to me, is going to be that Clay Thompson type of player where really good NBA player might be a number two on his team, but he'll fit the role. Like, And Cam Reddish, to me, is the one where watching the film – Like I said, there's a reason why I have him two and RJ at three. I like what Cam Reddish brings to the table. More importantly, I like his outside shooting and his shot better than RJ, which I think will translate better into the NBA. With Cam Reddish, to me, I just don't know what it's going to be with him. Is he going to be that Clay Thompson-type player where he's a number two and contributes Or will he be that guy that I am drafted number three? Like, will he be a guy that goes to Cleveland and helps kind of be the number one for them along with um, Colin Sexton? Or will he go to the Phoenix Suns and kind of fit and coexist with a guy like Devin Booker who is already the number one on that team? Like, that's the question with Cam Reddish is, which role is he going to fall into and which role will he feel more comfortable in? Being that... Paul Pierce-like player that I compared him to or that Clay Thompson player 
that I compared him to. Well, I think that we'll definitely find out uh, as the season mm-hmm. goes on. I mean, we've only seen six games so far. It's very small. It's, sample it's size. a small sample size. We're going to find out when, the, and especially with Duke, when they get into their conference play, mm-hmm. when they're playing the Virginias, when they're playing the North Carolinas, when they're playing, you know, a lot of those top teams in their conference, we're going to start to see what these players truly are made of um, and, and what role they will fall into. And then I think we'll be able to make a decision from there. But until then, you know, we just kind of have to do what you're doing Mm -hmm. and kind of take a little bit of a guess and, you know, make a little bit of a prediction and and do a little comparison here, comparison there. Who cares who you compare them to? Mm -hmm. I don't. Here's the last player we're going to talk about in this top five. And we're staying in the ACC with this. Nasir Little. Here's my here was my biggest question coming in. And it hasn't been answered when it comes to Nasir Little. How is UNC going to use him? Coming in, I was so unsure about him. Had him below Romeo Langford because I was like, how is UNC going to use him? Can he play with the ball in his hands? Yes. But will he? Like watching their exhibition games, I was like, I'm not really impressed because number one, the plays that he did have was great. It's like, all right. It's like Zion against... The D2 team they had. You played a D2 team. Of course I expect you to Hulk smash the ball through the rim because the team doesn't want to guard you because they're just there to get a little bit of experience and play Duke. It's kind of like when our college went to Notre Dame. Yeah, we played a close game against them, but no one expected them to win. Um, It was how are they going to use Nasir Little? And so far, very inconsistent from Nasir Little to me where it's like, Games against Elon, games against St. Francis of Pennsylvania, pretty good games. But then you look at Stanford, not so great of a game. Texas, not the best of games. UCLA, a little bit better, but not exactly what we had seen. Well, first in that in that Wolford mm-hmm. game, the f- was, was, the st- was they, they weren't even quite sure is what it, to do with him. Is it him, or am I right where it's the biggest question with him is, UNC and how they're going to use him this year. I think it's how they're going to use him, to, to be honest. Because they're using him off ball too much, I think. Maybe that's just me, but when you use him off ball and he doesn't have the ball in his hands, he's not going to have those scoring dominant performances because if he never gets the ball passed to him, he's going to have a game like Walford where, yeah, he went three for five, but he only had five shots. Like he only got the ball five times. Yeah. Well, I think he's. I think he's got to be able to have the ball in his hand more. Mm-hmm. I, I think he definitely has to. Like I, that Elon game. Yes. Yes. Definitely. I think that we've we've seen that he can be a very good defender. Mm-hmm. Uh, we so I mean on the defensive side yeah. of things, he's he's a strong defender. But we don't know enough. Mm-hmm. I, I think too about him as as a score as a guy on the offensive side. I think he certainly needs to create more off the dribble. But again. If he's not getting the ball in his hand, we mm-hmm. we don't know what he can do. We need to see it more. So I agree with you. Uh, again, this is one of those, it's a wait and see for a lot of these players, especially these freshmen. There's plenty mm-hmm. of them. It's a wait and see. It is a wait and see what they end up doing, what the team ends up doing with them. But I I, I, I do agree with you in that he, we need to see him with the ball in his hands more to, to see his full potential. Because to this point, we've seen glimpses here and there, but we haven't seen we haven't seen the full thing yet. Like, and that's why for me, Romeo Langford is above him because it's like at his best, I can kind of maybe 
predict what I may think, kind of like with Zion, where I think like, oh, this is your ceiling, but I don't want to shortchange him. Where it's like Romeo Langford, I know more of a ball dominant guard type of player. I also, because I haven't seen it from Nasir yet, I put Romeo ahead of him because it's like, okay, more of a ball dominant guard player who can rebound might translate better into the NBA than what I've seen from Nasir Little at this point. Although I'm not like using that as a knock against Nasir Little because if you looked at the Elon highlights, he was a man among a man among boys in that game, like slamming it through the hoop. He had seven boards in that game, the most that he's had um, all year, tying um, what he did against St. Francis of Pennsylvania as well in less minutes in that game. I just, for North Carolina, I wonder if it's going to be, yeah, Nasir Little, this is where he is on the big board, but I still don't know what I think of him because of how the Tar Heels have used him. I think that might be the story all year long with Little. Yeah, I think you're you're right with that, but we're going to start to see a little bit I think I think we're going to start to see a little bit more from mm-hmm. him because we're going to start to see North Carolina actually uh eventually get into some big games especially here coming up they're on the road at Michigan here soon and and, and then they've got they've got their home against Gonzaga their home against Kentucky those are going to be back to back uh games though the Gonzaga game and the Kentucky game where Strong opponents, good good opponents mm-hmm. with a lot of good players. You're going to have to come with your best players and and kind of let them go and do as much as they possibly can and get the ball in your playmaker's hands. That's where we're going to see, I think, what 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 we've got and what North Carolina's got with Nasir Little. Any final thoughts before we move on into our football picks and kind of end everything for this podcast this week. No, you're not going to believe this, Ricky. I mm-hmm. thought this was fun. I did, too. I thought this was fun. And this is usually not going to come from the guy who <laughs> has in the past complained, about actually said years ago that I wouldn't I wouldn't do um, big boards, uh, NFL or, or um, NBA. I remember but, it was the, oh, I think it was the Frank Comiskey draft. Those were probably the, this was before the fast break was consistent, those were probably, to be honest, the worst mock drafts to do because it was like pulling teeth from Brandon. Because the thing is, you watch college basketball. You could talk about these players and how they're playing. You could give two craps about the NBA. <laughs> like, ask Brandon about the NBA, and Brandon goes, the NBA, the NBA what? The NBA what? I don't know You what start to get about. too deep with some of the players, and mm-hmm. I start to just start to n- smile and nod. Like, yeah. uh-huh, uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Don't know. Well, this is where you guys command anything you think about our big board. Let us know what you think down below in the comment section, mainly with this one. The Dukies. What do you think? What do you like? Who do you not like when it comes to the Duke Blue Devils? Who do you think they compare to? Let us know what you think down below in that comment section. But Brandon, it is that time of the podcast where we end it each and every week. And sooner rather than later, we won't be able to do this anymore because football season will be over. We're getting near the end. And if you're keeping score at home, because I know Brandon wants me to, um, I was 15 and six last week. Not in bad, the Ricky. 21 games we had. Not Brandon bad. was 18 and three. Um, I wish Oklahoma State was in the top 25 because that would have been another win <laughs> no. for me. Um, with Brandon, with me just picking the opposite of what Brandon picks in that. But overall, 101 or 201 and 68 for me. 213 and 57 for the B man. I am now 12 
behind Brandon after losing three more games this week. I have a possibility to gain some more because I think we might be on the outside looking in on some of these or different, basically, on some of these. But a lot less games than we usually pick, but we're going to go through all the top 25 games. And my question for you, are we still going to give a a non-top 25-er? Are we still going to give one? Because there are some that are going on. You know what? Here. I guess we could. This is what we're going to do. Basically, what we can do, and you can write these down if you want so that you can pick, we will say, because there's other conference championships that are not top 25. So basically, you can have your pick between the MAC championship, which is going to be NIU versus Buffalo. We'll have the Sun Belt Championship, which is going to be the Raging Cajuns from Louisiana. I know it's Raging Cajun, but I like to say Cajuns um, against Appalachian State. Or we have the Conference USA, which is UAB versus Mid-Tennessee. Man, that's exciting. And those are the three. So what we'll do is out of those three games, you'll pick one, I'll pick one. So at the end... We will pick between those non-top 25 ones. You'll get one, I'll get one, and that'll be our non-top 25 pick of the week. But let's start it off. Number 17, Utah, going up against number 15, Washington, in Santa Clara, California, Levi Stadium, where the 49ers play for the Pac-12 championship. Brandon, who you got? Well, I'll be honest with you. I was super surprised, I don't know if you were, when Washington beat Washington State on the road last in, week. In the snowball, not the apple bowl, the snowball. I couldn't I couldn't believe it. I could not believe that Washington won that game. Twenty eight <laughs> to fifteen. Washington has been so up and down this year. But I'm going Utah. I'm going Utah. I think they've been a little bit more consistent. Washington, the games that I have looked at them this year and I thought Washington should win this game. They have not. This is another game that I I, mean, I just don't think Washington is is going to be able to win this this one. I think Utah is going to overtake them in the Pac-12 championship game. This, to me, is the biggest toss-up of the weekend. Yeah. And the reason why I say that is I could see Utah winning. I could see the Huskies winning. I think the Huskies end this one out strong. They came in, made a statement against the Cougars that, hey, our season is not over although it hasn't been what we would have liked it to be. But they ended it for the Cougars. But they ended it for the Cougars, and they're going to go ahead and end it for not one Ute, but two Utes, and they're going to get two turnovers in this game. One might go for a touchdown, and Jake Browning is going to have one hell of a game in a win against the Utah Utes. Then we have the Saturday games. We've got the first one coming in Indianapolis where the Colts play, Lucas Oil Stadium, the Northwestern Wildcats going up against the Ohio State University after they just laid the shillelagh. That's a Notre Dame thing, but I'm going to say it for the Buckeyes anyways. And Jim Harbaugh might lose his job um, because he lost to Ohio State yet again. Brandon, who are you going with, Fitzgerald or Urban Meyer? You know, I would I would take some time here to talk a little bit about Michigan Do and, and Harbaugh, ahead. but I'm not going to. Why not? Because I'm 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 feeling a show topic. Okay. I'm feeling a, that's what I think show okay. topic for this week, so I can um, complain all about Harbaugh and mm-hmm. how Big Brother wins again. <laughs> but I'm taking I'm taking uh, Ricky's little thing from last week. I liked <laughs> it. Emerald. I little, I liked it. Uh, I'm going Northwestern in this one, and people are going to say I'm mm-hmm. crazy, but Northwestern 
They have come up in the biggest games this year. No, Northwestern hasn't been outstanding. Eight and four. They've mm-hmm. lost four games. You look, Ohio State has lost just one. But the games that Northwestern needed to win to be in this spot this weekend, they've won them. The games that, oh, oh, there's no way they'll win in Iowa. What do they do? They win in Iowa. Oh, there's no way that they'll keep it close against Notre Dame. They keep it close against Notre Dame. <laughs> you know, I mean, all these games, they played the teams very, very close. I think Northwestern is going to win this game. I think they'll find some holes in the Ohio State defense, much like Purdue did. It's going to be a close one, but I think Northwestern will squeak it out. Well, I am going to... This one's a tale of two ones for me. Well, first off, you got to hit that button again because Utah was an upset as well. And you picked Utah, didn't you? Say that again? You picked Utah in the first game, right? Yeah. You got to hit that button. Utah's an upset. Oh. Wanted to make sure we got two button sets that the the Utes were an upset. I'm going to go with Ohio State, and mainly I would like Northwestern to win. I'm going to get into that later when I ask you the final question um, that I have set up for you. But I'm going to go with Ohio State because I need a win. I need a win opposite of you, and this is with you going Northwestern, I have to go with Ohio State because even if they win and I'm mad, at least I get some kind of a positive out of it. Then we'll go to we'll go from Indianapolis to Arlington, Texas, Jerry World where the Cowboys play. You got the Texas Longhorns going up against the Oklahoma Sooners. Kyle Murray is still saying, hey, me and Scott Morris. Kyler. Kyler. I keep saying Kyler, don't I? Kyler Murphy and Murray. Murray. That Kyler Murray. <laughs> Kyler Murray. Keep saying Murphy. But Kyler Murray. Kyle Murphy. <laughs> I, I, I think what it is is Murphy sounds like more of a baseball player name to me. And the joke I was going to make is him and Scott Boris have a plan that he's still going to go and play for the A's um, and kind of say bon voyage to football when this is all said and done. I personally, Brandon, can you hit the button for me? <laughs> Texas is going to win this game. Hook them horns. They're going to win. Hook them horns. Texas getting the win over Oklahoma. Texas won last time. Great game. Great game. <laughs> All the way down to the wire, and Dicker the Kicker won it. Um, I don't think that there's going to be a need for uh, Dicker this this week because I think Oklahoma is going to win it by two touchdowns. It's it's going to, to be a revenge for the game that they really believed they should have won the first mm-hmm. time. They will this time. And speaking of Texas, did you hear who's uh, the front runner for the North Carolina job in football? Nope. Mac Brown. Is he? The former head coach of Texas is the front runner right now for the um, North Carolina job that opened up after they said goodbye to Fedora after that they fired him, I believe, the next day um, on Sunday following this past week. And they're but still paying him $12 million. True. Which I saw. The it's funny, a way to go. The funny tweet is, yeah, they fired him and pay him $12 million, more than the history department will make uh-huh. this year. Yep. But we're going to pick a game, twenty-five top 25 game, not a conference championship, though. I believe it's a makeup. Drake and Iowa State, got to go with the Cyclones and Ames. Uh, yeah, Ricky, this should get you another win on the uh, on the record, <laughs> I, Iowa State. Are you going to go with, uh, you gonna go, we're going to go with Drake to give me that extra win? No, 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 no. You I'm just saying, I'm feelings? just saying, I'm just saying. It you should... weren't in your feelings going to pick Drake? <laughs> uh, yeah. 
<laughs> just for that. Um, I, 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 no, I'm saying that you'll get another win yeah, but on your on your record. But I won't gain one on you. No, I never said you'd gain one. Yeah. The next one, though, is the American Championship game um, without their quarterback, Milton, which showing the injury to Dave because he didn't see it, um, Dave's reaction to it was, huh, I don't think his leg's supposed to bend like that. Um, horrific injury um, to their quarterback. I hope he's doing okay um, after suffering that. But Memphis, they'll play UCF. Does UCF, without their quarterback, still go undefeated and can claim another national championship? It sounded like Mackenzie Milton was actually walking a little bit over the weekend. He took a couple of steps, so that's very positive. Good news there. He won't play this week, of course. But UCF, again, they're that team like Alabama. They haven't lost. Why pick against them now? Yeah. Going, going with UCF. I'm the same way. UCF in this one mainly because I want them to have a chance to get into the college football playoff, and they have to win in order to do that. Then the game that you mentioned, Alabama, they're going to play Georgia this week in Hotlanta where the Atlanta Falcons play the Mercedes-Benz Stadium. I can't pick against them, Brandon. Like, Tua... Five touchdowns, zero interceptions. Jalen Hurts threw a pass, 53-yard touchdown last week. This team's going to win. They're going to beat Georgia. Yeah, I mean, even if Georgia brings out their best game, mm-hmm. I don't think they're beating Alabama. Mm-hmm. This is going to be— And Georgia need—like, Alabama doesn't need to win to get into the playoff. Georgia does. Yeah, Georgia definitely does. They're going to need Jake Fromm to play the exact same way that he played last week, probably mm-hmm. one of his best games of the season. They're going to need him to repeat that again this week. I don't think he will. Alabama's defense is hot and heavy uh, against quarterbacks. They will be this week. Alabama wins and two has another great game. Well, and then we'll go to the Mountain West Championship. Fresno State, Boise State. Who are you going with, the Bulldogs or the Buck and Broncos? You know, I'm going to go with <laughs> what what you say a lot. I'm going to go with the guys playing on the Smurf turf. Smurf turf going to so eat I, them up. I'm going to go I'm going to go with uh, Boise State. The Smurf turf just going to swallow up those Bulldogs. <laughs> I'm going with Boise State as well. And then one that I think we're both picking the same. Clemson 26 point favorite over Pittsburgh in Charlotte, North Carolina where the Carolina Panthers play. Uh, we're both going with Clemson, right? Yeah, both going Clemson. However, Watch out. Watch out for Pitt. This is a, a rematch of a game from, was it two years ago, where mm-hmm. Pitt beat him uh, on a last-second field goal? Could be a good game. And then, Brandon, I will let you pick the non-top 25 first. Who do you want to go with? Do you want to pick the MAC championship winner, the Sun Belt winner, or are you going to pick the Conference USA winner? Um, I am going to go with... Uh, Northern Illinois versus Buffalo. Okay. I'm going to go in that game because Northern Illinois, uh, they were a team that I picked, I think, early on at, uh, didn't I pick them at, yes, at some point this, this year? And I lost. And I lost. Um, I don't know who I picked them against. Oh, FSU, I think. Mm-hmm. That was dumb. Um, and then also I picked <laughs> Buffalo um, earlier yeah, this did. year. They played on the road at Ohio, and they got... Hammered fifty-two to seventeen. So I'm. So why going, would you go with this? game? So this is why I'm going with this game because I'm going to pick one of these teams to uh, to upset you. No, I'm I'm going with one with one of these teams to uh, to you know give themselves some redemption. I'm going with Buffalo. Uh, screw you, NIU. Um, I'm going with Buffalo, so that means NIU will probably win. But and, go with Buffalo. And I am to keep it different because you went with that. I have to pick a different one. I'm going to go with the Sun Belt Championship. 
in Boone, North Carolina. I'm going to go with Appalachian State to beat the Raging Cajuns from Louisiana. Expect Appalachian State. And I think they're the Mountaineers. I got to double check that. Usually I'm really good. Yep, the Mountaineers will get the win over the Raging Cajuns from Louisiana. Last question that I want to ask you, and this has to do, of course, this video is coming out the day that the committee will come out with the new rankings, so we have to go after go after last week's rankings. After last week, you had UCF at 9 in the college football playoff rankings. Washington State now loses. They were ahead of them. LSU lost. They were ahead of them. Michigan lost. They were ahead of them. And Ohio State won. They were below them. So potentially, this is what I think the college football playoff rankings will look like this week. Alabama at 1, Clemson at 2, Notre Dame at 3, Georgia will be 4, Oklahoma will be 5, Ohio State will be 6, UCF better be 7. If they keep Michigan ahead of them, they are smoking. They better have UCF at 7. If this happens, Brandon, Northwestern beats Ohio State. Texas beats Oklahoma. Georgia beats, or Georgia loses to Alabama. And there is nobody else besides the top three in front of UCF. How would you feel if UCF actually got into the college football playoff at number four? Could be interesting. It could happen, man. Could be interesting. Let me read you something here from mm-hmm. Seth Walder, an ESPN analytics guy. He says, this is a day ago, even putting aside Mackenzie Milton's injury, playoff predictor does not consider UCF a real playoff contender because it is based on the selection committee's past behavior. And in the past, the committee selected teams that were some combination of quote-unquote best and quote-unquote most deserving. According to FPI and strength of record, respectively, UCF is neither. If the committee does not, or rather if the committee does put UCF into the playoff, it would signal a shift in criteria away from best and most deserving and towards simply a lower number in the loss column. That would be a little ironic, given that the reason the committee is needed in the first place is because win-loss records fail to tell the whole story in college football. I'm not going to argue there because the, uh, obviously Ohio State is different than playing like Memphis, but uh, it could really happen. And the thing I think that will be most telling is that Michigan. Does Michigan fall from four to like eight just below Michigan UCF? should fall from <laughs> for their loss, should fall. And, and everything that they had, everything yeah. was going mm-hmm. their way. It was in their own hands. They mm-hmm. controlled their own destiny. They should go from four to below the worst team in college football. Wow, they are the that, they, they are that, <laughs> they are that much of an embarrassment. Below the Illini, that yeah, is that they, is low. They are that much Lovey of an embarrassment. Got two more years, sixty-two now. to thirty-nine mm-hmm. in in the game that mattered the most, <laughs> and you lose sixty-two to thirty-nine. Yeah. Well, there's more of that to come. But um, here's the thing: mm-hmm. is that. If it comes down to it, and UCF, by all accounts, you've looked at everything, and they're a deserving team mm-hmm. to get in, and you look at all the other teams after everything's done, all the games have been played before we need to go before we move to the to the uh, 
to the playoff, mm-hmm. and you look at it, and you say UCF should be a playoff team if they're close enough, if they're five, six, or seven, and you can make the argument for them to, especially if they're six, especially if they're five or six, and you can make the argument for them to be in there, mm-hmm. then they should be in there. We should just get it over with. So that, so that they can, like they can lose so that they and we can, can never so that they talk can about get in there, either get demolished or actually win or play a competitive game mm-hmm. and everyone can be done with it. Mm-hmm. And then they can legitimately be a playoff team for years to come or they can stay away forever. I mean, because it's getting annoying. It's the Boise State argument when we had the BCS. UCF is the modern-day Boise State. Remember Boise State when they had the Fiesta Bowl and won it? And people were like, oh, they should have been in the BCS championship game. UCF is that Boise State team. Yeah. That's what they well, are to the playoffs. Well, and that's because I don't. I, I currently don't, don't think that it should be mm-hmm. that we should be expanding the playoff. I don't think it needs any more teams right mm-hmm. now. One day, will it? It might because you always need to – if something gets stale and old, you need to change it. That's mm-hmm. what they needed to do with the with the BCS. It yeah. got stale, it got old, and it got inefficient. It wasn't effective anymore. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, now UCF would be in every year because they're 12-0. Mm-hmm. But we need to – again – we need to at this point. At this point, I'm just so sick of it. Just say, make sure Ohio State doesn't get in there because I don't really <laughs> want to see them. And Oklahoma, you know, are they have they played well enough to 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 be in there? You know, if Texas beats them, you know they're they're kind of pushed to the side. I, I, you know, you look at you look at some of the other teams. Michigan, Michigan, I I really don't think is going to be around there. Mm-hmm. Washington State, they're they're now out because they. You know, lost that game to to Washington, and now they're they're moved to the side. Just freaking put UCF in there, shut everyone up, and be done with it. Just be done with it. I want to be done with it. <laughs> I want to be done with it. I I mean, I don't really care if they get in and they win. Mm-hmm. Fine, more power to fine, them. more power to you. But at least we can be done. Mm-hmm. You know. Or if they I get just, some, or if I they like get demolished, how agitated yeah. it makes you because it's annoying. <laughs> It is annoying because until honestly though, until we put them in there, we we can't put them in there. But until <laughs> we personally, we can't. personally, I'm making a call to Condoleezza Rice. Put them in, Condi. But um, until, before or after she takes the Browns head coaching job. After okay, after so maybe next year. <laughs> um, but seriously, on, on a completely serious note, if they aren't put in UCF one of these years, if it's not this year. If they do the same thing, twelve and zero, and it's not next year, mm-hmm. there's always going to be the, well, you know, UCF should be in there. Well, you know, we should expand the playoff team, the playoff, uh, you know, so uh, UCF can be in there. You know, a bunch of whiners. That's so, what it's going to be. It's going to be a bunch of whiners. The last thing I want to throw out there is, oh, I got to find this comment. We had a good comment on our. Remember when we talked about the nightmare scenario? Yes. And I want to give credit to who made the comment where basically at the end of it, he said that he rather – oh, right here. It was – so we've got Ape P. Jones 1 said – he had four comments, but the one that I like is 
Four teams are not enough to even be called a playoff. It's obvious at this point. I would rather argue about number nine than number five and leave three teams out that are then leave three teams out that could actually win the title. So like he's saying, I rather argue about nine rather than like if everyone who is supposed to win wins. He'd rather argue about nine than arguing about five and leaving like Georgia, Ohio State, and Oklahoma teams that could win the title out of but it. But see, I think this makes it more exciting. I don't want to get into mm-hmm. a longer co- discussion. We already we have. We already one. have. But mm-hmm. but it, it makes it more exciting with the four teams instead of eight teams. And then it's like, well, that it is. It is like that. Well, that nine, it, they really didn't need to be in there. Mm-hmm. With now, I, I, I'm almost more willing to to argue a team should have been in there than being like, no, they got it all right. Mm-hmm. I know that sounds kind of weird and, and ironic because you you know we talk all the time how you want to get it right and then I complain when they don't. Well, but it I gives think, us something I, to talk about. Well, it gives us something to talk about, of course. But it, I think it's also more competitive mm-hmm. this way with the four teams than it may be with the eight teams. Yeah, freaking come at me, I don't care. But you know you may disagree and that's fine. Mm-hmm. But because we we all know that every listener and viewer is right in their own mind um, as we both are. Yeah. Um, but uh, I, I just think that it's more competitive with a four team play. Off. That's all I'm going to say, and I think we should probably end this segment. Well, this is where you guys come in. Let us know what picks you guys have, and plus what we talked about at the end. Uh, do you think UCF will actually get into the playoff if the scenario happens for them? And do they even get put in that scenario because the rankings will come out tonight as this video comes up? I want to thank you guys for watching on YouTube. I want to thank you guys for listening on podcast services around the world. Make sure to check us out on Patreon to help support us. Love the support we get from our patrons. Can't do what we do without the help from you guys. Make sure to buy this awesome T-shirt down below in the description in our shop at mostvaluablepodcast.com where you can catch MVP each and every day. And then last but not least, make sure to rate and review the Primetime Podcast on iTunes and Apple Podcasts. Thank you guys for watching. Thank you guys for listening. And as always, have a good day, everybody. Thank you for listening to this MVP podcast. Follow us on Twitter at Most Valuable Pod for more great podcasts.